historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Today's episode is called Ben & Jerry's Boycott. Getting bad news is never a pleasure. But hearing the news that Ben & Jerry's are ending their contract with their Israeli distributor during the blistering heat of the Israeli summer is just not humane. And I thought Ben & Jerry's was all about human rights. So first, I want to cool myself off from the summer heat, of course, by saying two things. One, the Ben & Jerry's contract with their Israeli distributor has been in existence for over 30 years. It is renewed every 10 years, and the last 10-year agreement is up at the start of 2023. That's roughly a year and a half from now, and in the Middle East, that is considered an eternity. But even after 2023, we already have, say, Ben & Jerry's pull out. We already have really good ice cream in Israel. And a lot of it. My personal favorite is Anita in Tel Aviv. And this is not a commercial, I promise. So, what happened that all of a sudden, out of the blue, Ben and Jerry's decided that they could no longer live with themselves selling ice cream in the West Bank and East Jerusalem? The statement from Ben and Jerry's U.S. Home Office read the following. It is inconsistent with our values of Ben and Jerry's ice cream to be sold in the occupied Palestinian territory. Now, Avi Zinger, who is the Israeli distributor of Ben & Jerry's, replied that he would defy the new verdict and continue to sell, as before, in Israel and in the territories. The territories is just another name for the West Bank. As a result, Ben & Jerry's decided that his license would not be renewed when the company's contract expires at the end of 2022. All this was formality. The pressure on Zinger not to sell in the territories and East Jerusalem has been going on for years. It wasn't out of the blue. The last altercation with Hamas in Gaza, which was the 11 days war, and there's a whole podcast episode on the 11th day war if you want to listen to it, created additional pressure on the home company, mainly from its board, to boycott. Now, imagine you're Zinger, the Israeli distributor. You have 30-year-old business, you are apolitical, and just want to be successful in selling ice cream. Would it be a smart business decision to boycott parts of the Israeli population for political reasons? Man, he would be toast. He may just as well tell his 160 workers to go home. We're closing down today. Why do I say that? Because Israelis, regardless of their political stance, would immediately stop buying his ice cream. Oh, and there's one other important small detail. In 2011, the Israeli government enacted a law against boycotts. The law prohibits, and I quote, any public call for a cultural, academic, or economic boycott of a person or entity due to their connection to the state of Israel. No wonder Avi Zinger defied the Ben & Jerry's home company orders. Even if Zinger hypothetically, and I emphasize hypothetically, agreed to the Ben & Jerry's policy, he's forbidden to do so by Israeli law. So Ben & Jerry's has decided, if you think about it, to make their statement on the backs of Zinger and his 160 workers. What is up with this boycott? Let's, as always, take a little bit of a deeper look. Ben & Jerry's has a strong social justice political philosophy. We know that. It's enough to look at their website and you realize that they are advocates for all kinds of issues. For instance, they advocate for voting rights. They advocate for racial justice. They advocate for the LGBTQ community. They advocate for climate justice. They advocate for U.S campaign finance reform, and for refugee rights. That all sounds great. Um, notice, by the way, that the word justice is used twice in this, if you want to call it, mission statement. Now, I'm not a philosopher, but I do know that in the Middle East, in my area specifically, the word justice is used very often. And I don't think I'm being overdramatic when I say that almost every political ideological movement claims that it knows what is just. In the Middle East, as I said, justice is very loaded. It's a very loaded word. Since it really means that one side is just, 
and the other is unjust. And it's almost always put in absolute terms. When you look at some of the Palestinian agendas, you will never see that there's any kind of claim, any kind of wrongdoing on their behalf. There's no gray area whatsoever. Like I said, I'm no philosopher. I just know that in my area, movements want to claim complete ownership of the word justice. Now, it's time for some context and some comprehension. So first of all, what is the West Bank that Ben and Jerry's don't want to sell to? So the West Bank is an area which today, ironically, is in the eastern part of Israel, although it's called the West Bank. And that's because it is the West Bank of the River Jordan. The British had a mandate over it from just after World War I to just after World War II. Just after World War II, there was a war between Israel and Jordan, and Jordan claimed the entire West Bank as theirs. And as a matter of fact, from 1949 to 1988, Jordan basically annexed that area and gave the Palestinians their Jordanian citizenship. Israel, however, in 1967, so during the time that Jordan claimed it, took it in the 1967 Six-Day War. Today, the area of the West Bank is divided into three. Areas A, B, and C. Area A is complete authority of the Palestinian Authority, both militarily and civil. About 2.8 million Palestinians live in Area A, and again, they're under Palestinian Authority. Area B is a mutual control, in which the Palestinian Authority is responsible for the civilian issues, whereas Israel is responsible for any military issue. And then there's Area C. And Area C of the West Bank is in full control of Israel, both civil and military. East Jerusalem is a little bit different. Um, East Jerusalem was under British mandate as well from just after World War I to just after World War II. And then East Jerusalem was in the hands of the Jordanians, whereas West Jerusalem was in the hands of Israel. Immediately after the Six-Day War, when Israel took over East Jerusalem, Israel applied the municipal Jerusalem law to the area of East Jerusalem, meaning it's kind of an annexation without a formal annexation. But then in 1980, Israel annexed it and so East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem, as far as Israelis are concerned, are one city, which is united. Again, that's as far as Israelis are concerned. And so Ben and Jerry's doesn't want to sell in these areas because they say these areas are occupied. Did they come up with this all on their own? Doubtfully, we know there was a lot of pressure on Ben and Jerry's by an organization called the BDS, which stands for Boycott Divestment Sanctions. This organization is obviously a very anti-Israel organization, was established in 2001, and their aim is to do several things, really, by Israeli perspective, to bring Israel to an end. First, they want to rebrand Israel, or rebrand the world's understanding of Israel, by saying that Israel is racist, fascist, colonial country, basically branding Israel as a demon. The way to, to get this done is to totally isolate Israel via international sanctions. And the goal itself is to dismantle the Jewish state by having an influx of multitude of Arab Palestinians, what they call refugees, gaining the demographic majority to overwhelm what would be a Jewish minority, and by that point, the Jewish state will cease to exist. By the way, the whole Palestinian refugee issue is a case within itself. On one of the podcast episodes, we will talk about it. But just to understand, a Palestinian that is born today, whether in an Arab country, whether in Detroit, Berlin, London, or whatever it may be, has a right by UN General Assembly decision to come live in Israel, even if they were born, once again, yesterday. 
I'll also just say that the UN General Assembly has a majority of nations that are either anti-Israel or have very little to lose by being anti-Israel. Again, that's also for a whole podcast episode in terms of the UN and Israel relation. But you know, world democracies are not fooled by the BDS. The USA, Spain, France, the UK, these are just some examples, have enacted legislation to combat the BDS. One of the reasons is because BDS uses, well, I should be blunt, they lie. Um, Today, I guess it's called fake news. So for instance, in the case of Ben and Jerry's, the BDS says that Israel is using Palestinian water to make the ice cream. Fact is, the factory of Ben and Jerry's in Israel is in a place called Be'er Tuvia, which is in southern Israel, and they don't use water for their ice cream. Um, They also claim the BDS that the factory, once again in Be'er Tuvia, is an occupied Palestinian village. Never was there a village at Be'er Tuvia. It is an Israeli moshav, which began in 1888. Have there been previous boycotts? Yes, there have. The Arab boycott was formally declared by the newly formed Arab League on December 2nd, 1945. That's six months after World War II ended, and that's basically three years before Israel became a state. They decided the following, and I quote, Jewish products and manufactured goods shall be considered undesirable to the Arab countries. And they continued, institutions, organizations, etc., etc., were told to refuse to deal in, distribute, or consume Zionist products or manufactured good. Notice there's no distinction between Jewish and Zionist. In 1948, after Israel was established, and Israel was not thankfully destroyed by the Arab armies, they waged a more fierce economic war. The Arab League gathered again, and they instructed the following. One, no trade between Israel and the Arab nations. Two, boycotting companies that do business with Israel. In other words, international companies do business with Israel, can't do business in the Arab world. And three, blacklisting of anyone that trades with other companies that do business with Israel. Now, who are the countries boycotting? Just as an example, Syria, Libya, Iraq, Lebanon, Malaysia, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Yemen, and others. Of course, these are all liberal countries with an impeccable record on human rights. If I was posting this on social media, my next sentence would be, ha, ha, ha. So companies have to choose whether they will be going to the Arab countries or whether they want to do business in Israel. To be honest with you, most companies, this was a no-brainer. In the Arab world at the time, in the 70s and 80s, there were around 80 million Arabs in 22 countries, 21 countries rather yet. And in the Jewish world, which is one small country, there were 2 million. So imagine 80 million versus 2 million. There's an interesting story of Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola. Coca-Cola decided to have a bottling company in Israel in the 60s. This is after some issues with Coca-Cola not wanting to have a bottling company. They didn't really want to take a side, but they ended up doing so. Hence, the Arab countries will not allow Coca-Cola to be sold in the Arab countries. Pepsi-Cola said, oh, we can't compete with Coca-Cola in Israel, so we'll just go to the Arab countries. In other words, we'll go to the 80 million Arabs. What's interesting is that Coca-Cola held its ground. And in 1973, so not that many years later, Egypt had allowed Coca-Cola to come into Egypt. And why is that? Because after the 73 war with Israel, called the Yom Kippur War, Egypt was in dire need of a stronger economy. And Coca-Cola, who sent an Egyptian-born Coca-Cola representative to Egypt, had convinced the Egyptians that it's good for them because they can have an industry and they can make money from it and they can add taxes to Egypt. And so already in the 70s, this Arab embargo started breaking down. Soon after, other Arab countries, mainly in the Persian Gulf, opened up to 
other companies, including Coca-Cola. And by 1992, the boycott was basically completely over and it really didn't succeed in the long run. Now, I want to give you another example, a more modern example of a company called Airbnb. I'm sure most of you know Airbnb. In November of 2018, Airbnb decides they're going to boycott all those uh, places, 200 in number, that are offering room and board in the West Bank. There was a class action suit against them, which included about $4,200 per family times 200. That's a little less than a million dollars. And in April 2019, Airbnb decided to reverse this decision. Why? Do you think it's because of the million dollars? Uh, the Israeli lawyers claim yes, but that's because they want to get the credit for it. But if you ask me, I'm convinced of two things. One, they realized that the BDS might not be an organization they want to be aligned with. And two, they were going public. Did they really want a scandal in their hands going public, Airbnb? That would be my guess of why they revoked that decision. And I want to also tell you a personal story. And this is, I always get a kick out of this story. I visited Iceland. I actually visited Iceland twice. I love Iceland. Why do I love Iceland so much? Probably because it's 180 degrees different than Israel, geographically, geologically, and in all other ways, definitely weather-wise. After returning from my trip, again, it was in 2015, the Reykjavik City Council, and you probably realize Reykjavik is the only city in Iceland. So the Reykjavik City Council decided they were going to boycott, ready for this, all Israeli products. I was thinking to myself, what did I do to piss them off so much? I was probably the only Israeli tourist in uh, Iceland in 2015, but they decided to boycott all Israeli products. I told my family, I remember telling my family, their brains must have still be frozen from the harsh winter. They, they probably haven't defrosted because boycotting all Israeli products, that's crazy because... Well, let me tell you, let me read to you what Yair Lapid, which is today's Israel foreign minister, the time he was um, a politician, he was in opposition, what he wrote in two op-eds in two Iceland newspapers, which are probably the two only papers in Iceland. And he says this, and I quote, does the boycott include products made by Israel's Arab minority, which is 20% of the population? Does it include the 14 Arab Israeli parliament members who sit beside me in Israel's parliament? Does it include Israeli factories, which employ tens of thousands of Palestinians from whom this is the only opportunity to provide for their children? Does it include Israeli hospitals, at which tens of thousands of Palestinians are treated every year? Does the boycott include Microsoft Office, cell phone cameras, Google, all of which contain elements invented or produced in Israel? And he continues, and I quote, if the answer to all these questions is Yes, then I'll move aside and wish you all an enjoyable life until the sadly unavoidable heart attack. Sorry, but pacemakers are also made in Israel. The Icelandic government totally refused this city hall uh, decision. And they said, no, 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 that doesn't ally with our policies. The mayor of Reykjavik, it took him about four days to say, you know what, we didn't really understand what it entails. And we are changing that decision. We will not boycott all Israeli products. Look, have there been boycotts? Yes. Have there been attempted boycotts? Yes. For the main part, they've pretty much all failed once again in the long run. Ben and Jerry's might be a little bit of a different story. And Israelis will tell you that you almost have to be obtuse to not comprehend that the real struggle isn't about Ben and Jerry's, but rather it is between the BDS and Israel. So let me tell you a little bit about some of the founders of the BDS, like the famous Roger Waters, Pink Floyd, right? Flying an inflated pig with a Jewish star of David and a dollar sign during his concerts. And when he was criticized for that, he said, I didn't really mean to offend Jews. Now, he's either a total ignoramus not to realize the anti-Semitic meaning of a flying pig with a Jewish star and dollar signs, 
or he's just malicious that figures he'll just apologize later after the damage has already been done. How about another co-founder named Lawazi? He really took the cake. He's, by the way, a profession, professor of German phenomenology and enlightenment philosophy. And you know what he said to his freshman class? He said, and I quote, Hitler committed no crime. All Hitler did was to do to white people what white people had normally reserved for black people. That's real academic integrity. Again, he is either a total ignoramus and shouldn't be teaching, or he is just malicious. But probably the most important BDS founder is a man by the name of Omar Barghouti, who has said on many occasions, and I quote again, we oppose a Jewish state in any part of Palestine. He has voiced his clear opinion against any kind of solution that includes a two-state solution, which would be in Israel and in Palestine. He argues that all Palestinians, once again, doesn't matter where they're from, as I mentioned before, it could be Lebanon, Iraq, Berlin, London, Detroit, wherever it might be, should have a right to live in Israel proper. He continues, the Arab demographics will overpower the Jewish demographics, and then the natives will have returned to live in their rightful homeland. Justice, right? By the way, I am a seventh generation Israeli on my mother's side, and I would not be considered a native, of course. And then Omar will claim utopia. A liberal democracy will emerge, you know, like the democracies in all other Arab countries. Oh, wait, there aren't any, are there? As an Israeli, I feel free to say that any denial of my right as a Jew to live in my Jewish homeland in a Jewish state is indeed anti-Semitic. And Roger Waters and Omar Barghouti, please don't try to sugarcoat it with your fake, we are advocates of peace BS. I will say this, even though you may not be active in the company that you started, Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, I don't think you're anti-Semitic. I don't even think you're self-hating. I do think you're totally deficient in your understanding of what's really going on in the Middle East. You may ask yourself, what will Israel do to battle this, to combat the BDS? Recently, the new president of Israel, named Bougie Herzog, had said that the boycott of Israel is a new kind of terrorism. Now, some Israelis may agree and other Israelis may not agree with the word terrorism, but one thing is for sure, if the BDS is going to try to brand Israel in all kinds of demons, we should brand the BDS of who they really are, in our opinion, supporters of terrorism, since once again, they want to be rid of our Jewish state. The second thing Israel will do is send a message to all these different companies. Ben & Jerry's had sold, made an exit, to Unilever. Unilever is an international company that has a lot of business in Israel, in America, and other countries. There's a lot of pressure being put on Unilever to reverse the decision of Ben & Jerry's, even though Ben & Jerry's has an autonomous board. This is gonna be a very strong struggle of Israel because you want other companies to realize that alliance with the BDS is also a call for the dismantling of Israel. So let's end with some good news. Since the establishment of the BDS, that was in 2001, the Israeli economy has tripled. If I want to be exact, it's just under 300%. Foreign investments have also tripled. Israel has one of the strongest economies in the world. The struggle with the BDS and similar groups will continue. I have no doubt that Israel will emerge stronger than it is today. Although I may not be able to lick away at my favorite chocolate chip cookie dough as of 2023. But then again, I probably will. Please log on to InsideIsrael.fm to hear all of our podcast episodes. You can also access us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Music